You're listening to KOOP Hornsby Austin 91.7 FM and on the web at koop.org. Welcome to Issues for Your Tissues, the definitive discourse on reproductive health and well-being with your host, Katie Vitale. The views and opinions expressed on Issues for Your Tissues may not necessarily reflect those of co-op, its board of directors, or anyone else anywhere else. The information offered is not a substitute for the advice of a licensed medical professional, which I am not. Thanks for tuning in to Issues for Your Tissues. Welcome back to Issues for Your Tissues. I'm your host, Katie Vitale. I am, as always, excited. You know, uh, how can you not be excited to be able to share great news and information about sexual health, well-being, and reproductive justice every week? So I'm always excited to be joining you guys. You might be tuned in here in Austin at 91.7 FM, or you could be listening uh, anywhere in the world on the website, streaming live at koop.org. Uh, you could be listening within the next two weeks at Radio Free America, where you can hear archives of the show for just those two weeks. Uh, you can also, or you might be listening far into the future, 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 future. That's the future noise of the Issues for Your Tissues podcast. And all of this stuff is available to you at the co-op website. So you can surf over to co-op, even if you're listening at the radio station or anywhere else. And uh, if you look at the issues for your tissues page, there are links to all of this stuff that I've just talked about and more for your consumption. You can have all the issues for all your tissues 
uh, whenever you like. We are, as always, really um, uh, honored, I think that's the right word, honored today to be able to share with you two guests who are involved in Rewired, Rewired.News for you guys. Uh, I'm sure that you've all listened to all the shows before and you know about uh, Rewire's reporting because I've shared much of it, but Rewire has decided to um, produce their first documentary, and this is called Care in Chaos, and it came out earlier this month, and I'm so happy to be able to uh, bring you Lindsay Beierstein, who is an investigative journalist and broadcaster in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, Karen Chaos is her directorial debut. Her reportings appeared in the New Republic, Slate, Salon, Newsweek, and other publications, and she reports on reproductive rights, uh, the law, and civil liberties. She hosts the Breach podcast on Rewire Radio, and previously hosted the podcast Point of inquiry. So Lindsay's here uh, to talk about her uh, her de- her debut in directing uh, Care in Chaos, and we have one of the uh, featured people from Care in Chaos, uh, Kala Hales. Kala is a lead administrator for a preferred women's health center, a group of independent abortion clinics in North Carolina and Georgia. In January 2017. She served as one of the five organizers for the Women's March on Charlotte. She was born in Durham and currently resides in Charlotte, North Carolina, where she is a board member of NARAL Pro-Choice North Carolina and an active community organizer around the topic of reproductive health care. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Of course. So... Uh, we'll we'll play the trailer uh, about midway through, but I wanted to make sure that um, everybody get ever, they're going to get the idea that this is a great documentary that they're going to need to see. Uh, I I just wanted to know how you two got connected in the first place um, because there there's a lot of turmoil in in a lot of places in the country where uh, many states are down to. A handful of clinics, and I know that uh, that's the case in a lot of the South. But um, what what stuck out about a preferred women's health center for you, Lindsay? I put the word out to my network of contacts, people who work in abortion care, who work in clinic defense, and the question of the day was, which clinic has the worst protesters? And we compiled a short list, and unfortunately, a preferred women's health center is at the top of our at the top of the list in terms of the severity and intensity of its protester issues. And then we also found out that Kala was only 26 years old when we visited her. She's since had a birthday, but uh, we were in- incredibly impressed by her commitment and her personal story, and we thought that viewers would respond to that very strongly. So that was how that was how we made that connection. And Kala. Um you present as more, much more mature and and older than than just twenty six. Uh, when I saw you in the in the interview or being interviewed, uh, do you feel? Um, well, first, how long have you been at a preferred women's health center? I w- can jokingly say since birth. Um, my parents started the clinic when I was eight years old, um, so I've always kind of been in this business. I did try to go to college out of state and thought about doing other work, but I, I got drawn back into it, and I think it's, this is the best place for me to be. Um, uh, so I've been full-time lead administrator since 2014. 
Well, I, I know that I'm glad, but I'm sure they're glad and the, the patients and staff are glad to have you there. Uh, can you, uh, would you say that it's gotten worse in the past few years? Or uh, I mean, the protesters have been a constant at clinics since clinics came, you know, started opening and serving people. But uh, how could you characterize, how do you characterize the, the change in the in intensity or the uh, disrespect or just... How, how would you characterize the protesting that's that's gone on in the recent past? I would say that on a national level, the hostility and just the rhetoric has become a little bit more a little bit more violent and a lot more hateful. Um, but in a certain level, specifically towards us on like a smaller scale, Charlotte is the worst clinic out of all of the clinics that I work at. Um, I work in four different clinics in two different states. Charlotte is by far the most protester heavy. Um, that's not to say that other clinics don't have protesters. And I made the comment earlier today that, you know, it really only takes one person with a lot of hate that's unstable to cause a problem and cause violence. So the number doesn't necessarily mean but so much, but in Charlotte, we do have quite a few people and it feels like it, you're being under siege. Um, I would say that since November specifically, we've definitely had an increase in hostility that's just kind of abhorrent. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not, and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight right now either. Right. I, I don't imagine there will be for a while. Uh, and when we when we think about like what what causes Charlotte to be so so uh, awful uh, in in terms of the protests that go on, is it that there are not clinics anywhere else nearby? So you got people from all areas coming in, or or what do you think it is about the community that um, that engenders this sort of uh, ab- abhorrent um, protest? Because it, it seemed like a, a nice city, but again, I didn't go to the clinic when I was there, so I'm not, you know, I can't say. Um, I think specifically for preferred, I think a lot of the issue lies in the fact that just the geographic layout. Um, we're in the back of a loop, so it makes a very, like a lasso area, basically, making it very easy for protesters to congregate and really target the clinic and have an impact. Um, We do have other facilities in Charlotte for abortion care. However, I think some of them maybe have different days than we do. Um, It's just different, different needs for different patients. Mm-hmm. And Lindsay, when when you were uh, filming there, did did you have any uh, or did you have confrontations with the folks or were they did they think that or what what was the um, the exchange or what were the exchanges like between you and the crew and the folks that that were there? Well, the first thing that happened was that someone wandered in front of our car and our executive producer had to slam on the brakes to uh, keep from hitting this person. And and it turned out that that was a common thing they do, the protesters. They get out in the street, they'll stick hands through open windows to pass out literature. It's really pretty dangerous. Um, They were not... They were very suspicious of us. The first thing, we'd walk up to them and say hi, and the first thing that uh, they would ask us is, you know, are you a pro-choice outlet? And we'd have to say, well, we're an evidence-based outlet, and, you know, I'm personally pro-choice. And they were not 
but on the other hand, they also really seemed to want to perform for us and talk to us about and evangelize to us. So it was kind of an interesting mix of suspicion and eagerness to get their message out. But we didn't have anything that would really resemble a confrontation, except this one guy who got very upset when we asked him if he wanted to sign a release and started yelling at us about how the release in his eccentric interpretation meant that we could create... It was standard disclaimer saying, you know, we can use your image. and That means that you can make a character animation of me? And like, no, that's not what it means. It just means we can use the footage that we just took of you. But other than that, people were not very confrontational to us. So, but they're definitely mm-hmm. out there on the loudspeaker saying very confrontational things to anyone who can hear, including the patients, things about how God hates you and your offspring, that uh, you know, you're a sinner, you should come right out of the treatment room, you should consider having your rapist baby because it's actually a blessing. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. So, so I can give people or listeners a little bit more context. I want to play the trailer, and I know I wanted to wait to do it later, but it's, it's so good, and I want people to hear a little bit more so they have a little bit more uh, understanding of, of the content of, of this documentary because it's pretty riveting. So we're going to uh, take a minute to hear the trailer and be right back to speak more with Lindsay and Kala. She wanted me to go to her gynecologist right then and there to have the abortion. Where is your mercy for your neighbor, for your unborn children? I can hear. I do not think the situation outside is either peaceful or safe at all. I need a police officer sent. Okay, so it's a factory. No, it's an abortion clinic. really does upset a lot of patients to be able to hear people yelling and screaming and calling the names on amplification while you're in the back of a building that's 200 feet away. This is the brand new police station. (laughs) I laugh because despite being so close to the police station, they still do nothing. Right, so if they've already had their permit, how did they have a permit? Yeah, it's like now they see you, they're going to turn it right, down. Which is right. what happens every time. What what folks heard, and you can see that, I'm going to uh, share it again at the Issues for You Tissues Facebook page later this afternoon. But a lot of that was the, the noise uh, that the protesters are making. Like you can hear when Cal is speaking, the amplification of uh, whatever proselytization that's going on outside many yards away. Like how far away do these folks have to stay, Kala? Would, um How far necessarily are the protesters from patients or from the front door? Um, oh, my goodness. Uh, I guess from the front door, from the building itself. So protesters congregate and can congregate on the sidewalk in front of the clinic. So that's about 25 feet from the front door. There is a private parking lot. Um, However, you do have to turn into the parking lot, which has a sidewalk through it. So people constantly walk up to car windows, stop cars from actually entering the parking lot, um, reach their hand through open windows. We had an issue yesterday where protesters were throwing fetus dolls at cars passing by. So, so to answer that question, protesters get really close to patients. Yeah, that I would I would think that assaulting patients with plastic fetus dolls wouldn't be something that would convince them of 
anything. Um, are there have there been police called out to to handle just dis- disturbances or you know fights between like have I can imagine that people who are going in are already at a heightened state of uh, anxiety possibly or their their family member or maybe the person with them is and that doesn't make for um, good relations often uh, can you tell us about some of the uh, calls because I know you guys have to call the the law enforcement regularly even though they're not enforcing things like what kind of stuff happens out there we do call the police regularly. Um, I can't say that it's always for necessary. Uh, I can't say it's always a positive interaction um, or that something is done every time we call. Uh, we typically are calling for sound issues. The ordinances are constantly being broken. And unfortunately, the layout of the clinic, there's no real way to get an unseen reading. If an officer comes up to take a sound meter reading, protesters will still see him and be able to, you know, change their behavior to not get a ticket. Um, That's our first reason why we call. We call for protesters physically stopping traffic, um, for, yes, the threat of danger and violence and the possibility of violence breaking out. I can thankfully say we haven't had that many incidences of actual, like, cause for concern escalating behavior to violence at the clinic. Um, I can tell you this past weekend, and I'm not proud of this, but I will own up to it. I did yell at a protester and I got, we got kind of close to each other and we were pretty much screaming at each other in front of four police officers who just stood there and watched while I had volunteers asking, are you going to deescalate the situation? And they said, no. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that. Was it anybody we saw in the, in the documentary? the other person uh i can't remember offhand i think he was in the documentary um it's a i don't want to throw him under the bus actually i'm gonna throw him under the bus it was philip with his lovely hat (laughs) um yeah it was an interesting day Uh, a patient had been trying to come into the parking lot and they he and his wife stopped her and berated her and her mother coming in to the point where this patient just stopped in our driveway and she couldn't move and she was paralyzed with fear and she was sobbing. And it, that was the second patient I had seen that day that had been stopped by a protester and be, had become visibly upset. And I snapped. <laughs> yeah. For, for good reason. That's, that's not compassionate or, or care or anything that is helpful for that woman at all. Uh, I just want to remind listeners, you're tuned into Issues for Your Tissues. My guests today, Calla Hales, who is the lead administrator for a preferred women's health center, which is a group of clinics in North Carolina and Georgia. Their clinic in Charlotte uh, was featured prominently in the documentary Care in Chaos, which is Lindsay Beierstein, our second guest's uh, first directorial or is her directorial debut a documentary produced by rewire you can find out more about it at rewire.news or linked on the issues for your tissues facebook page Uh, we're lucky to have them here to talk about their experience making it and some of the uh the background into the the uh, the nature of protesting at that clinic since it's pretty pretty rife uh with it sounds just like a horrible experience to have to endure. Um, and Callie, you were about to say something else about the the protesting there or about people uh, trying to prevent women from actually entering the clinic and breaking them down to tears. 
I was about to say that it, that is it's difficult as a provider to really like and as a person to find that line of trying to take the moral high ground and not being in not reacting because you don't want to add to the chaos for patients um and it's hard because ethically and personally you're so intense you really want to protect these these patients coming in and their companions and you want to do the best you can to be compassionate and supportive and you have to really tamp down a lot of anger and sometimes it it doesn't always fully get tamped down um and we're not always proud of that but it's honest and we're trying the best we can and i feel that here in Charlotte, we do a very good job of supporting patients in any way possible. And that's commendable. Um, Lindsay, when you were making this, did you guys get to spend much time, um, or has anyone told the Charlotte police about the FACE Act, and was that prominently uh, uh, reviewed or gone over in, in the documentary? We didn't talk so much about the FACE Act, because the FACE Act is really focused on blockades and threats that functionally blockade clinics and for the most part the protesters are not doing that in Charlotte that they're basically in places where they have a right to be and then they're overstepping in certain really predictable ways like getting into the street periodically and then they scatter when the cops get there or they'll get an amplified sound permit for the day and turn their speakers up to way over 75 decibels in violation and then it turned it back down again so the FACE Act didn't really come into it I will say that the Charlotte Police Department was not very interested in any kind of dialogue with us. I asked them a bunch of times on the phone and by email if they would like to have if they would like to do an on-camera interview with us. We said, you know, we'll come to you. We'll do whatever you, you know, however you want to arrange it. If you want to just talk to us, you know, we'll come down and meet you and talk to us on background if you don't want to be on camera. And they declined all of that. Seems like they could get a plain clothes person with a decibel meter or something. Like if they wanted to, they could do something about this. Don't do you guys feel that that's the case? Absolutely. I can comment specifically to the plain. Uh-huh. I have asked about that. Um, it's the opinion of CMPD to not utilize plain clothes cops in situations like this that aren't necessarily operations or active investigations because they said that they're trying to build community, and part of that is transparency. Um, I understand the theory behind it. I'm a little unsure about the practicality about it in this situation, but it's. I feel that CMPD, to a certain degree, is really, you know, they're caught in a rock and a hard, between a rock and a hard place. There are, there's a lot of gray area, and there's a lot of confusion down um, and just miseducation and uneducation about some of these things. And I think they're still trying to sort through this. So in one of the longer um, pieces of video that I saw of the documentary, there was um, a woman uh, writing down license plate numbers. And, and that's something that happens in, in lots of places, but it's always pretty nefarious when they do that because that's, you know, that's borderline stalking. So why, why do you need that? Why does somebody need that information or why can they just say that they're collecting it and for, you know, good purposes, there's no good reason to be writing down a lot of people's license plate numbers. And did you, um, Lindsay, can you tell me about filming, um, that exchange? I, I can. The woman in, 
who's writing down license plate numbers. We were told was the sister of Flip Benham, who's kind of the, the godfather of anti-choice protest in Charlotte. And I asked her, so why are you writing down these uh, license plate numbers? And her story to me was that it's because women might be getting medication abortions. And if they were to run into a woman who'd gotten a medication abortion and minister to her, you know, like at the Dairy Queen or something like that, they might be able to talk her into not coming back for her second dose of medication or maybe even going for abortion pill reversal, which they're touting right now, which is this unscientific protocol of flooding women with progesterone, I think, to, on the idea that it'll reverse their, their medication abortion. And I don't know if they've ever done that. She didn't. I asked her if she'd ever done this to anybody, and she claimed she hadn't. And there may be other reasons that they're writing down people's license plate numbers, just in terms of sort of general psyops and psychological pressure and who knows what else. But that was the story that they told me was about trying to just come up to people in public and evangelize them about their ongoing abortion. Oh, that's that's horrible. That's that's even yeah. I'm I'm sorry that. Ooh. So uh, when when we talk about people with uh, fake information and fake news or false science or not I call it non science or nonsense like that, uh, is that is that something that you, you find yourself, Kala, in the clinic having to counsel women on? Like, do, are they coming in with bad information based on some of the stuff that they're hearing when they're walking in? Um. Sometimes, yeah. We, there's a lot of misinformation across the board, um, whether it's finding it from sources online that could be coming from CPCs or just from groups in general that are trying to promote misinformation. It's, it's hard. Um, we do work on trying to correctly provide information and accurately provide information. Um, it's, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, there seems to be more disinformation out there than real information, just as the number of CPCs has far exceeded the number of actual abortion providers in in the U.S., and I'm sure in North Carolina, just as in Texas as well. Uh, Lindsay, did... Um, did you did you find other instances of this weird non, non-factual... Uh, well, I'm sure that all of them hold uh, a lot of this... All of the protesters have some of this nonsense that they carry around with them. But but what were some of the other gems that you heard when you were out there? A lot of it was what we saw, which were these giant uh, pictures of mutilated what looked like full-term babies. And there's been a lot of you know, study into these, and they're generally considered by experts to not be medically accurate. So, And certainly, even the protesters, when I asked them about their signs, so is that what the pregnancies that are being terminated in this facility look like? I mean, the pregnancy, what else? There's a lot of questionable behavior going on around ultrasounds. We're um, right near Preferred Women's. They've got two giant purple ultrasound buses, and they try and entice patients into the ultrasound bus by telling them that, uh, you know, you're going to have to get an an ultrasound before you get your abortion anyway, so this will speed up your visit, which, of course, it doesn't because they have to do an actual medical one with competent personnel. And we don't know what kind of information that they give out uh, based on those ultrasounds, whether they're competent to read them and whether they're honestly reporting to people what they're seeing, if they are seeing stuff. 
And we there's worries, I, not specifically to this ultrasound bus, but in the crisis pregnancy movement in general, that people give out fraudulent readings to either tell people, oh, you're miscarrying already, so you don't need to go to your appointment, or you're further along than you actually are, so it's too late, or you're way, in, you're way early, so you don't have to make a decision, like whatever they could tell people to, uh, you know, make, give them an give themselves an excuse to not go through with their appointment based on bogus information. And I haven't encountered this positive proof that that's happening in North Carolina, and I haven't. But it's something that uh, has been talked about in the in the reporting on the crisis pregnancy movement. That's right. It's something that uh, uh, NARAL Pro Choice Texas has done a lot of work on and found it. They received uh, misleading, incorrect, or false information in the majority of CPCs that they went to for that. And, you know, like those ultrasounds that they're giving, of course, they're not, this isn't a medically licensed purple bus. So those uh, women are, again, being being duped into thinking they're receiving care when they're not. Um, Kala, in North Carolina, do CPCs receive a... Um, state funding or uh, funds from um, local budgets? You know, the North Carolina state budget just recently passed, and in this year's state budget, CPCs will be receiving $1.4 million of the state budget, including the CPCs that park outside of our clinics. Yeah, and these are unlicensed, uh, unregulated uh, facilities, if we want to call them all facilities, right? Um, do you do you have women who've gone into them, or do you do you meet women who've gone into those and gotten those ultrasounds and tried to come bring them in and say that they were uh, so many weeks, or but they really weren't? Or have have you seen that directly? We have seen that directly. Um, we're working on a way to kind of take better notes and keep better records about this process, just because we get constantly hear pushback of whether or not we're taking accurate notes on these, this quote-unquote medical information, even though it's not medical at all. Um, so, so we're going to work on creating a new system for specifically for this purpose. Mm-hmm. And, Lindsay, when, um, when you guys were out there, you said that, or you told us in the beginning that there was some um, skepticism or people were weary, the protesters were weary of your uh, presence and maybe not willing to sign releases. Uh, but you got uh, so much footage of of folks who uh, seem to be happy to share their nastiness with you guys. Um, how long did you did you spend with with these protesters or filming them? We were up, we were in Charlotte for five days and sometimes hours and it's kind of this interesting mix of motivations because there's they're wary of us but they're also really bored and they also really like to show off so they sort of alternate between giving us the cold shoulder and showing off. And what might showing off look like um, with you guys? A lot of ostentatious praying, you know, sort of getting down on your knees and praying really loudly and. You know, fingering your rosary really emphatically and that kind of stuff. Kala, mm. uh, do you um, do you have regulars? Uh, I know that when I worked at the clinic, there were some regulars who would show up on certain days, and like Monday we had the guy with the hat, or Tuesday we had you know just different people. Do you um, 
Do you feel like you got got a lot of these, or a lot of them were captured in the documentary? Um, oh, you get a lot of regulars. I say that any given week, there's probably about a hundred regulars. Um, I apologize. That is my nephew. He just really wants to say hi, and then he's super feminist. Hi. Um, <laughs> um, we are currently expecting about a hundred regulars. Um, we, on the weekends, we do get larger numbers, and mm-hmm. because of that, we it's not less regulars and more just math. Mm-hmm. So weekends uh, seem to be a, a, a time when lots of people come in from surrounding areas when they, you know, they got the their weekend off from work and they decided what are they going to do but harass women. So I, I see that happening. Yeah. Um, but a hundred. Yeah, let's, let's take the little kids. This was something that we saw a little bit of people bringing a lot of very quite young children. And the escorts that we interviewed said that they some people sometimes bring kids that are even younger than the school age kids that we met, that people will bring really little kids, like, you know, kindergarten age, kids who aren't old enough to know not to wander out into traffic. So it, that's its own safety issue. Right. And it's going to be hard for those kids to get a good grip on reality when they've been, when this is their experience on the weekends. Were, did you get to speak to any youngsters while you were there or get any of them who shared with you um, anything on camera? I didn't, get, I didn't interview any of the younger kids, but part of the opening montage of the documentary is a, a bunch of kids. They've sort of formed a gauntlet along the sidewalk. One of them's in his Boy Scout uniform, which I think might be against Boy Scout policy, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'll let that slide. Just, uh, you know, praying. And in uh, it was kind of fortuitous in its own way when we were filming in North Dakota that it just so happened that uh, the local 40 Days for Life campaign bust in about 50 primary school kids. Oh, that just seems distasteful uh, or unethical at best. I can tell you that now we're getting getting community service points or something like that. That's ridiculous. Calla, what were you going to say? I was going to say that I can, to feed off of Lizzie's statement, right now, in the past few weeks, we've had six visits from vacation Bible school groups and from homeschool field trips. So they've come out in full force. Uh, So in addition to getting homeschooled and maybe not getting science, they're going to get this uh, in addition to that. I just, uh, I'm sorry. I'm at a loss of people bringing field trips to an abortion clinic to protest. It doesn't seem like... Anyhow, I'll let that one go because I feel like there's not much we can do about this. Um, how, speaking of not much we can do about this, Kelly, you had spoken earlier about having police uh, called out on a semi-regular basis. Um, is Has there been any pushback from the department on you guys for making those calls? When They are fully warranted, I'm sure, when you make them, but like, what what is the reaction when they come out and and don't catch anybody doing anything wrong. I think that kind of changes from answer to answer. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm trying to oh, that's fine. navigate and have taller time. It's awesome. Um, I guess this isn't truly reproductive justice, though, right now. Um, mm-hmm. How I would say we do get some pushback from the police mainly because they're not very, I'm assuming they're not very happy with us by constantly calling and now bringing attention to the shortcomings and what we believe are shortcomings. Um, 
we do ha- there are a few officers in particular that we've had issues with, but we do have a few officers that we can openly have dialogues with and constantly talk about these types of things. And that's definitely a step up than where we were last fall when this documentary was shot. So and it makes a big difference to have that dialogue. We found that the other clinics that we filmed at in Fargo, that it wasn't always as functional as it is now. They used to have a really bad relationship with the police, but then a local, uh, the police chief was real at the time was really engaged in community policing and he was able to reach out and form a relationship with uh, the woman who's the director of the clinic there. And it just made such a difference. So hopefully what's going on in Charlotte is the embryonic stages of a more productive relationship with the police. I hope so. Uh, I just want to share that uh, you're listening to Issues for Your Tissues on Co-op Radio. I'm your host, Katie. My guest tonight, Calla Hales, who is the lead administrator of a preferred women's health center, and Lindsay Beierstein, who is an investigative journalist and broadcaster in Brooklyn and has directed her first documentary, Care and Chaos, which came out this year, just last earlier, a couple weeks ago, right? Yep, July 11th. Yes. So we are going to take a quick break for an announcement and be right back with more Issues for Your Tissues and more about care and chaos. You're tuned in to Issues for Your Tissues. I'm your host, Katie Vitale. My guest tonight, Lindsay Beierstein, who is the director of Care and Chaos, and Calla Hales, who is the lead administrator at a preferred women's health center in uh, Charlotte. And they, uh, she has been featured uh, prominently in the documentary that Lindsay uh, has directed, Karen Chaos, which again came out earlier this month on July 11th, and that was produced by Rewire. So this is uh, the the first uh, the first film for Rewire. Lindsay, do you see? Uh, well, I'm sure there's a need for a lot of this kind of film topic and and documentary this this genre of reproductive health access. But um, have you thought about your next? your next foray into the media? Uh, well, this was a project that's probably not with Rewire, but actually I'm sort of exploring the idea of doing another documentary um, about the backlash against opioid pain medication, that there are a lot of people with chronic pain who are now being denied drugs that their doctors believe are to their benefit because of really draconian regimes in terms of how doctors have dealt with with the DEA. And that's something I'd really like to explore um, at greater length than possibly a, you know, a video kind of format. Yeah, I guess that's another another film that could be essentially be showing the uh, barriers barriers to health care that, that patients and doctors uh, have, have decided on themselves. Um, exactly, that lawmakers are telling doctors and patients how to practice medicine for ideological reasons. It's very much the same as those tra- various trap laws like Cala has to deal with every day, where the state tells her that she has to read medically inaccurate information to patients about how an abortion might affect their fertility or their chances of getting breast cancer and stuff like that. So it's kind of an ongoing interest for me about uh, you know, the intrusion of ideology into what should be a sci- both scientific and very personal relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That that sounds really interesting, and we need a lot more of that. Um, Calla, I know that North Carolina legislators are regularly um, mistaking themselves for doctors. Can you tell listeners about some of the um, some of the trap laws uh, that that they've enacted on you guys just in the in the past like five years or so? I know that it's there's been a lot more as of lately. Um, the biggest one we have to contend with is the seventy two hour counseling bill which says that a patient has to be counseled with 
for their appointment. Um, there's not a issue with doing this over the phone, but it does have to be done by a registered nurse or physician. Um, now, this counseling itself is not necessarily the greatest. Um, it definitely talks about medically inaccurate information, uh, particularly saying that breast cancer can be caused by abortion care and that there's a risk of sterility and not and impacting future pregnancies because of abortion. Right. Oddly enough, um, that's been discredited in so many ways and so many places by so many medical organizations that... Uh, I'm, Absolutely, yeah. but it still seems to get with the trap laws. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And can you tell us about your service with NARAL Pro-Choice North Carolina? I know that they're they're probably working really hard, or you're working really hard with them to address some of these trap laws. Do you foresee any any kinds of uh, actions, legal actions against these laws or any, any kind of cases that, that are currently underway that we should be paying attention to in North Carolina? Well, this past legislative session, uh, there was a bill put forward called the Whole Woman's Health Act, not unlike the Whole Woman's versus Hellerstedt um, response. We were hoping to rescind these trap laws and increase state funding for full-service reproductive rights care. Um, that bill did not get passed. Uh, we're really keeping an eye on these trap laws specifically. There are a few law case, uh, lawsuits pending and right now with the Center of Reproductive Rights specifically about medically forcing physicians to say inaccurate information. And also for in North Carolina specifically, having to turn in ultrasounds for procedures for 16 weeks and up to the state and not understanding how these documents are being used, where they're being stored, and if this is breaking HIPAA. Right. Uh, I, I found out, um, interestingly enough, that, that states' government doesn't have to abide by HIPAA the way that individual providers do, which is, uh, which is pretty scary since that's a lot of information that's being collected, and, uh, and we don't know how they're using it, like you said, or how it's being interpreted, and it's, it's hard to say because... Um, you know, a fetus might might be measuring differently and they might assume that it's further along than it is and then try to attack you guys for that later. Like uh, how there seems to be no way to protect yourself against the ineptitude of the state in those kinds of matters. What What is it that, that listeners can do to to assist, whether in Texas or North Carolina? Let your representatives know, your city council. Um. This year, especially after this past election, you know, we're learning that our voices mean a lot more than we thought they did. Um, and that when we don't speak up, a lot of crazy things can happen. Um, but it's always a constant thing. Being in a democracy, your voice has to be heard constantly. This isn't a one-off. We can't just come to a march once and forget about it. That type of change doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. And if they're in the Charlotte area, do you have uh, active recruitment for escorts uh, for the clinic? Or uh, if there are people who want to get on the ground, is that something that you would um, encourage them to do? 
I would really encourage them to, especially if they want to be involved in Charlotte. So we have a great volunteer program and organization that helps us through Pro-Choice Charlotte, um, both as clinic defense and in terms of patient escorting specifically into the clinic. Um, we kind of, we try to separate them out because unlike counter-protesters, our clinic defense members do have the permission of the clinic and do still abide by clinic protocols out of respect um, and out of respect for patients because that's our biggest priority is patient support and patient care. Um, you can find Pro-Choice Charlotte online, on Facebook. They're constantly doing outreach in the community. Um, they've just become a uh, 501c3. So we're now, they're now looking to expand into advocacy and outreach. Um, so no, we're not planning on rolling over anytime soon. <laughs> That's great. Uh, and I'll find some links for that and share them on the Issues for Your Tissues Facebook. Uh, when, we, when we talk about the, um, the people who want to be counter-protesting, I know that that's been an issue in, in Austin and that uh, it's not only is it not necessary, uh, the, the clinics ask that, that you don't do that because it just adds to the, the chaos. Uh, um, and Absolutely. The number of people out there did a... Do you have people who think that they're, do you have people who want to counter protest show up? And, and when you do, are you able to, you know, encourage them to um, make a, make a quick exit? Yeah, this is an interesting question. I think a lot of providers really struggle with this too. We all understand that there are people counter protesting your heart's in the right place, but you're not going about it correctly. Um, the best thing you can do is reach out to either uh, organization directly or the clinics directly and see what's best for patients because even though this matter uh, this is a politically charged matter and it shouldn't be it's healthcare of all things first and foremost our clinics are not a political statement or your political battleground they're there for patients first and foremost mm-hmm. that's right uh, Lindsay when you were traveling to other clinics did you uh, did you find uh, many, many people who were supportive of women's access, whether they be counter protesters or, or not? Uh, because in these, I, did. Mm-hmm. Um, I was impressed in both places with the dedication that the cl- and training that the clinic escorts showed. We were able to observe a training for new escorts in Charlotte and we were able to watch the, um, the North Dakota escorts work. They're like a finely oiled machine. They've got blue vests like UN peacekeepers and they form a human wall around the protest, around the patient rather, as the protesters line this tiny narrow sidewalk and they just whisk them into a building like, like an elite security detail. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing to watch and just the community of people. And also there are things that, you know, creative clinics can do to channel the the counter-protesting energy in a positive direction, we filmed something called Chalk for Choice, which is going on in both places, where the night before, people will come and get together and uh, paint supportive and, in in Charlotte's case, informational messages like arrows on on the pavement so that when people come through, they read things like, we love you with hearts and flowers and uteruses. And then also an arrow saying, you know, keep going this way. Don't get, don't get derailed by the... Uh, by the anti-choice protesters who are trying to lead you astray, you know, keep driving so you can get into the parking lot and be safe. 
That sounds like a, a wonderful way for people to express their compassion and concern for the patients while supporting the clinic itself. Is that just something that's come up uh, organically, or is there a, an organization or a, a, a movement behind it? I don't want to deny anybody credit for this if there were other people, but the person that we learned about it from was Tammy, the director of the Fargo Clinic. And it's she's spread. I think uh, I think Tammy's uh, chalk for choice was the inspiration for Charlotte's as well. Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, Calla, but you're absolutely correct. Um, so Tammy, the director of Red River, is actually one of my like personal heroes. That's someone who I really admire, and I'm trying. I mean, I hate to use the word emulate, but like if I have questions, I'm like, what would Tammy do? Um, so, That's wonderful. To think, to think of things that she's done, because she's made a lot of progress. And I know that Fargo has not always had this rosy atmosphere that they've had with protesters especially. And just to see the progress and supportive community she's made, like, I really am trying to follow in her footsteps on that one. So, yeah. yes, Chalk for Toys is definitely something we stole from Tammy. So, thank you, Red River. And I thank actually you. have to kind of backtrack a little bit and say that the, the Red River Escorts, are incredible, and to watch them on film was amazing. And Lindsay, were you about to add something? Oh, yeah. Tammy has this sort of whole approach to bringing the community into the clinic. When we were there, every surface almost was covered with a beautiful plant that somebody had grown in their house. Um, And then the plants go home with patients if they want to have something to take home with them, something growing and alive to feel supported by their community. They can take home a plant that was grown by someone, someone in the in the Fargo community, and it's it's about support. You don't have to take a position pro or anti choice to grow the plants and contribute. You can just want to you know donate and give this plant to make people supported, and it was really moving for me. Right. I just want to let listeners know that uh, the Red River Clinic that they're speaking about in Fargo is the only clinic in the state and has been the target of a lot of protesting. So uh, the work that they're doing is is remarkable and that she's kept it open despite numerous uh, trap laws and attempts at other um, trap uh, measures. So uh, that's, if you, if you're excited about clinics and clinic management and uh, you know, a preferred women's health center and um, Red River, like whole women's health, independent abortion providers are doing so much for our communities. And um, I I want us to be thinking of them uh, anytime there's news about, you know, Planned Parenthood, they just, uh, it's not just Planned Parenthood that, that abortions are being provided by so many um, smaller clinics than, than Planned Parenthood or clinic uh, chains. So uh, if you are at all interested in this, I'm sure that you can, you can find more information online or email me and I can, I can hook you up with some, some websites. So uh, again, I want to remind listeners, you're tuned into Issues for Your Tissues. My guests tonight, Calla Hales, who is the uh, lead administrator at a preferred women's health center in Charlotte, North Carolina. They also have clinics in Georgia. And Lindsay Beierstein, who is an investigative journalist based in Brooklyn and has directed her first documentary, Care and Chaos, uh, in, in conjunction with Rewire. And you can find more about it at rewire.news or on the Issues for Your Tissues Facebook page. Care and Chaos uh, focuses on the turmoil that is created when protesters try to prevent uh, women from accessing abortion care at a preferred women's health center. And uh, is I think it's, from what I've seen so far, is uh, was really uh, um, 
at times angering and at other times very insightful. Uh, were there, Lindsay, were there times when you were filming that uh, or editing or any part of this when when you just felt the, the anger boil over or when you just were having trouble just even watching it again? Well, there was the profound sadness of the one woman that the escort didn't get into the building the day on the biggest day that we were filming people. I think it was a Saturday. And this woman, you know, she came around once and then she came around again and she finally just gave up and drove off. And just seeing that happen just made me so sad, just thinking about how sad and overwhelmed she and her companion must have been feeling that, you know, you want to go get a medical procedure. It should be a simple thing, but it ended up being so emotionally taxing for her that they just elected to take off. And I often have wondered what happened to that. What happened to that woman? Was she able to come back? Yeah, that was a, that was a big moment for me. Mm. All right. And Kala, when we, um, when we talk about women or patients who are uh, trying to access abortion, uh, when they come in, is there some kind of, is there triage that needs to be done after they've had to go through that onslaught or the gamut of, of protesters? Like how, how can people, uh, uh, you know, be present and let go of what the, the horrible experience they just had? I really wish there was a great answer to that, but There's no stereotypical uh, patient. You know, patient abortion care is really applies to and is available to every person. Um, So response to trauma is also different for every person as well. So there's no one size fits all on how to deal with that. And we just try to do the best we can to kind of roll with the punches and see what the patient needs and the companions need. Um, And we always definitely reiterate that you know, we are here to help them. Levi is so excited to say hi to you. He just can't hold himself together. Oh, we, we love Levi. <laughs> Tell him that. <laughs> so, I will let them know. <laughs> uh, so we have, uh, we have just um, a minute left. I wanted to know, Lindsay, we've, um, we've talked about some of the shootings. Uh, I mean, some of the filming of the documentary, some of the uh, things that you've encountered. What else do listeners need to know about Care and Chaos before they see it? Um, I think we've pretty much covered everything. I would like to encourage people, if they're moved by what they say, to get involved with their community, whether it's calling their local represent, calling their clinic and finding, or you know, local pro-choice groups and finding out what their local clinic needs, and then showing up. And whether it's at city council, whether it's at a police precinct meeting and, you know, carrying forward the message that you hear from your local activists and providers, because I've sort of seen this happening since the movie came out. Um, and even before that with Kala's activism in the community where pe- she's been getting her people to city council meetings and uh, getting their case in front of police officials. And it's making a difference. More police officers are being sent to the clinic. And hopefully that's actually going to have a positive effect on the experience for patients. Right. And Kala, what else do people need to know about your experience day to day at the clinic or uh, about the protesting or, or anything else about patients' experience? I think it's most important for people to keep in mind that abortion is based in legal health care and that the women and men who come to our clinic, rather either as patients or companions, um, that they're not doing anything wrong and that they still have to go through this level of harassment that is 
damn near illegal and is not being held, they're not being held accountable for that, their actions against patients. Thank you both so much for coming on Issues for Your Tissues to talk about care and chaos and your experiences in, in your uh, in making it and in your work. So, and for all of that you're doing to bring evidence-based uh, health care to uh, people. So thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Levi and I had a good time. Great. Well, you guys have a, have a great night. And Lindsay, we're looking forward to seeing this and your next, your future works. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks. Have a great night. You too. Bye. All right. That was uh, Lindsay Beierstein, who is the director of Care in Chaos, Rewire's uh, documentary that they produced, came out earlier this month, July 11th. And that is, there's more for you on the Issues for Your Tissues Facebook page, uh, which you can get to if you go to coop.org and click along to the Issues for Your Tissues links, where you can find all of that and you can consume at your leisure. Uh, I am so excited to have been able to share this with you.